And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. James, we are back. How was your last couple weeks? How are you doing? It's good. I mean, you know, kids back to school and things are, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Things are trying to go back to normal at least a little bit. So I, uh, my microphone's got, got cobwebs. I had it in the basement. It's got cobwebs all over it from how long, (laughs) how long it's been since we recorded. So we might be a little bit rusty today. All right, well, we'll get back in the swing of things. I think we should start before we get into what I want to discuss, which is I want to talk about the piece you and I did together in more detail. So I thought we'd go through the five questions that we answered about the Leafs offseason. But first, I think we should start with the news, the only news. And it's not really news anymore because we're a few days late. But Manny Maholtra coming um, aboard as an assistant coach, what was kind of your first impression uh, about that hire? I was a little bit surprised because everyone I talked to around the team kept saying they were looking for someone with a lot of experience to join Sheldon Keefe. And I was told explicitly that they were interviewing a lot of former head coaches, people that had head coaching experience in the NHL. Um, so I was thinking it was going to be one of those kind of coaches, you know, like a, you know, Jacques Martin ended up going to the Rangers. and But they were talking to Bruce Boudreaux a lot. Um, and then Manny Malhotra came a little bit out of left field. Like no one that I had talked to was, was saying his name. And, um, it it sounds like they just, um, they just really liked the fit. They really liked what, what he brings to the table. And, uh, but in terms of experience, I mean, he's only been a, a coach in the NHL, I think for three years, right. You know, he was playing up until relatively recently, but Manny Malhotra has a very, very good reputation. He had a very good reputation as a player too, as 
he's one of those guys when he was in the NHL, everyone said he'll make a good coach one day. And then, you know, I guess, you know, it seems like one day is right now. So, but I think, you know, Manny Malhotra is going to bring different elements than Paul McFarland to, to the bench. Well, what's interesting to me about him is, is the career he built for himself is, is kind of based on what the Leafs, I feel like, want to get more into their group. Like his career is kind of based on working really hard and, and smarts and like the kind of intangibles that you're kind of wanting to see more from the Leafs. Like he's not, his talent isn't Nylander. It's not Marner. It's, it was never anything like that. Like he had to kind of survive based on those other things like defense and face-offs and penalty kill and like, I think it's interesting that they would choose to bring in a guy who built his career that way, as opposed to like you're mentioning someone who would have more experience on a, an NHL bench like Bruce Boudreau. Um, but maybe maybe they think that like he can relate more to the players than someone like Boudreau can. Like he's not that much older. He like I guess he is, but like he, you know what I mean. Like it's the same thing with Paul McFarland. Like he's in their age window in that maybe the communication is is going to be a little easier than it might for someone like Boudreaux, who I would think is in his 60s. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you're right. I mean, I think what they're thinking is that Mal Holtra is going to be able to inject some of some of the really strong defensive acumen, especially as a forward, that he had in, into the Leafs group. You know, and, and, you know, some of the Leafs guys, you know, Austin Matthews in particular, took a big leap defensively this past season and they do have a couple guys who are good defensive forwards, but I think they need, they need more of that. You know, they, they need to, they need to complement what they have obviously as an offensive group, the highest scoring team since when Sheldon Keefe took over and they need, they need to go from, I would say at best uh, middle of the pack defensive team to, you know, somewhere in the five to 10 range. I, I do think it is interesting though, for your, your, first point about experience given the given you know that Sheldon Keefe was in his first year coaching in the NHL at a, of any kind like not even an assistant last year um you Dave Haxtell you know he was uh in North Dakota forever before he he came to Philly like he doesn't have a long history on an NHL bench and obviously you mentioned Mount Holtra only the three years with Vancouver like you wondered especially given the way things went at times, including in the playoffs, where like you could, I don't know, you could argue that maybe some of what Sheldon Keefe did is an experience. Maybe it's just, maybe it's not, maybe it has nothing to do with that. But you wonder if if you could have used someone who's been around an NHL bench, I don't know, a decade or whatever, who in that situation where you're in the playoffs and you're going into game five and you're putting William Nylander at center and you're loading up the big line, someone who's going to say, you know what, no, like we got to kind of put the brakes on and and that's too much you know what i mean like someone who's who can be more of a moderating kind of presence because he's been there a little bit more than the guys that they have well i think that what sheldon keith would have wanted is just like another voice that he could go to that that would have input on things like that you mean you know he could you know with the coaching staff you don't want it to be just you're dictating to everybody and this is how it is you know i he would he would want it to be a leadership group that they they come up with a plan together and and then work that through so you know Sheldon Keefe I was told interviewed a lot of different people and he had to find someone that he was really 
comfortable with that he was going to be kind of simpatico with and that he was going to get along with and I believe I believe Mal Holtra and Sheldon Keefe are the same age. I think they're both 40. And I believe they played in the OHL around the same time. So I don't know exactly what the familiarity is there. But, uh, you know, maybe that was part of it, too, that he, he wanted someone that was really kind of of the same generation of, of yeah. player player and coaches that, that he is. Well, and you wonder, like, if, if you're Keefe, as much as, like, Kyle Dubas is tied to the hip with Keefe and, like, has his back fully, but... You just wonder, like, how it would feel to have, let's say, Bruce Boudreaux, this longtime, very successful NHL head coach beside you, if that feels threatening at all. I don't, like, I don't think Sheldon Keefe doesn't seem built that way, that that would bother him. But, like, if, if they had, let's say, a difficult start, and and suddenly the market's like, well, Bruce Boudreaux's right there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, it might just create unnecessary friction even if there isn't friction well can you can you imagine like talk radio and like even some of like the tv stuff and you know like the some of the the hot take people in the in the market would probably be out there yeah you know talking about you know let's say they start the season three and eight or something and you know and and, and boudreaux such like he hasn't been an assistant coach basically at all and Boudreaux's such an expressive guy. I just, you know, maybe they'd they'd be cutting to him on the bench, making a face or something, and yeah, you know, like the, it, people could play up some sort of tension, and, and and I don't know, I don't know, maybe like it it had the potential that it could turn into a little bit of a, a thing. So I, I I don't think that's why they made the decision, but they they avoided that by by not having it that way. I guess the question though is James like how much does experience matter and I, I don't know the answer to that like I mean we even saw when Kyle Dubas uh, took over as GM like he had Brandon Pridham there obviously and then there was talk that he wanted to bring in someone more experienced there was I think you mentioned Ron Francis and then obviously Lawrence Gilman comes in tons of experience I don't know I just I guess it's just a question of how much experience matters maybe it doesn't I don't know We'll see. Moving on. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll see. moving yeah. on. All right. Well, so you and I um, put together a piece. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, you can go to The Athletic and read it. Um, we kind of looked at some of the burning questions around the Leafs offseason. So we're going to go through them one to five. The The first one is is the biggest right now, and it's should the Leafs seriously pr- pursue Alex Petrangelo? Obviously, it doesn't seem like the talks with St. Louis are going very well. Um, and it looks like there's a chance that he'll get to unrestricted free agency. If that is the case, what is your answer to this question? I know your answer, uh, but expand on it for the audio medium. You know my answer? I'm not even sure what my answer is. I mean, this is such a tough one because he's such a good player, but there's all these caveats. He's also such an expensive player, and he's an older player. So, like... He's almost like the perfect player for what, like if he was 27 or 26, it'd be like, this is exactly what we need. This is, this is perfect. I mean, he probably is exactly what they, he, they need right now. It's just, mm-hmm. he's, I believe he's 31 in January, correct? Yeah. And like the concern is you give him eight and a half million term, And then by year three or year four of the deal, you're like, ah, I don't know if he's like our best defenseman anymore. I don't know if he's and, and well, it's like John Tavares right now, isn't it? Well, except I don't. In think some the, ways, I don't think the talk around Tavares has reached the level where people are saying that. Yeah, 
True. Like I don't. I haven't seen. I haven't seen yet a lot of people saying he's old and washed up. I mean, he had a forty-seven goal season the year before this one. So and we'll see. Well, I I think that there there definitely that concern could be real, especially if he struggles again this coming season. But um, yeah. It's uh, the other thing too, Jonas. Though that like I can't escape is that it's really hard to make a strong Leafs roster from top to bottom if you add another big salary to this team. It just is. It's really, really difficult to do it. I, I've tried like a bunch of different ways. There's no easy way to do it. There's no simple way to do this, unless you trade Neilander just for futures or something. But even then, I mean, that's like a, that's a big piece from your offense that you're giving up and who's going to play those minutes and then if you try and do it with depth pieces it's really difficult you know the, I, I said this in the in the piece that you and I wrote but if the Leafs were Tampa right now and they had Sergachev and they had Chernik and they had uh, Sorelli and they were all on entry-level mm-hmm. deals and they were all making seven eight hundred thousand dollars a year then yeah you could do it because you have really good players making almost nothing the Leafs don't have that. The Leafs do not have difference-making players on entry-level contracts right now. That the They did a couple years ago. They don't anymore. Well, and that's what Tampa did when they got Ryan McDonough. Like, they got Ryan McDonough, then they signed him long-term, but they had all these guys who were really good making cheap. But let, let me, let's, let's get into the balance versus top-heavy question in a second. I, I, while you were talking about you know Petrangelo's age and whether it's smart to sign someone like that long term as you try to chase a cup, one name came to mind for me, and he's not a defenseman, but I remember when Chicago signed Marion Hosa to that insane contract, and I'm looking, he was 31 um, when they signed him, and obviously he helped them win three cups. Was it three cups or two cups? I can't remember. Three. Well, they did. So win. he helped them. They win. did win three. I I believe he was. Yeah, I believe he was there. Yeah, for, he was on all of them. Yeah, he was on all of them. Yeah. And, and while it's not the same thing, you know, Petrangelo's a defenseman, Host is a forward. But the point was, like, they, he was, like, their final piece. And he kind of – he gave them this, this really good two-way forward who could score, who could play in key spots defensively. And, and I wonder if, like, you look at Petrangelo and you say, you know what, for the f- next three or four years, as long as, you know, Matthews and Neilander are signed, he's going to be good enough – that we can, that even if he declines some, it's going to be enough of an upgrade to push us into a, a contention spot that we haven't been. Well, you know, do you the, buy that at all? Well, you know the difference between him and Hosa, though, right? What's that? The way that you could structure the contracts when Hosa was signed right. in Hosa was signed oh yeah, nine, right? And I they gave him a twelve year deal, I think, right? Like you could sign yeah, twelve or thirteen, yeah. See, I think he got twelve years at like five point eight or something like that. That's my recollection. But if you're you, right, it is twelve years at five point two seven five. Oh, five two seven five. Yeah, so the, even lower. So like, yeah. Back then, you could give term, and then, and I think the last like four years of the contract or something were like a million bucks or something ridiculous. Like you could do that. You could do these back diving deals, and you could bring the cap hit way down. I mean that's a no-brainer. If you could do that with Petrangelo right now, like why wouldn't you? I, you know, I would give him a twelve-year deal and cap, cap hit of six million. Like that, that, that's like not even a consideration. But they they took that out 
The most the Leafs are going to be able to do is a seven-year deal, maybe eight if they trade for his rights from St. Louis and then sign him. And it's it's going to be a big number. You know, the reports out there are that St. Louis are offering, you know, 7.7, 7.8 million over eight years. Um, I would think in as an unrestricted free agent, the team's going to have to offer more than that because it's going to be fewer years and he's going to have to relocate and all those kinds of things. So you're probably looking at, at eight and a half. So it's, I, I, I would, I think this is a really tough question for the Leafs to wrestle with. It's very easy to say, yeah, go do it. But you got to talk through what the rest of the roster is going to look like if you do do it, and you got to look at what you got to look at what your other options are too. Yeah. Well, let's get to that in a second, and then we can get to the other options. Actually, that's a good point. But I, I guess one question I'd have in response to you, in terms of, and and if I'm St. Louis, I'm probably asking the same question: Who else is paying you now? Pierre LeBrun, I believe, mentioned Vegas, Toronto, and Calgary as as potential landing spots. Um, I guess. They could conceivably sign him. Like Vegas has some issues that they're going to have to sort out, obviously in goal. Um, Calgary is losing potentially Brody, losing Hamannick potentially as free agents. They could sign those guys, but that would make some sense. But I just wonder how big the market is. What about like a team like Boston if Chara doesn't come back? Like, sure. Like they're going to lose Krug and Chara. Yeah. They, they've got a bit of cap room. Whether they and I like, I wonder if Rask comes back. I mean, there's some talk about is Rask going to play again or is he going to retire? And he makes seven million. I mean, they 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 could potentially. I don't know. I think there's more teams with cap space than people think right now. The I don't know if every team's going to use it. If every team's going to spend to the cap for next year. Well, that's the other part of it, James. Like, how many teams like in this environment are going to want to give out a seven year contract in an environment where next year might not have fans or revenues are down? You know. Yeah, well, I, it's hard right now. Like the teams aren't really sure how to operate because they don't know what the financial landscape looks like for next season. So, you know, are you only going to have fifty percent of your revenues or less? You know, for a lot of teams, the gate revenue, the fans in the seats is 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 a lot. And it's been interesting watching the NFL games where they're you know in some places they're getting fans into the building and. You wonder if that's the future for the NHL. Like, you know, they're doing watch parties for the games in Dallas. There's fans sitting in the building. Do they do like a socially distanced kind of fans go to go to the game? Oh, baby. Well, let's let's <laughs> let's let's, that's, let's that's another topic, about... right? Like that, that's that's for another week. That's another week. But so you mentioned the question of, of balance and how difficult it was. And you wrote a story about this. People can go back and find it on The Athletic um, about the difficulties of constructing a roster around let's assume you keep neander around that core four then you sign petrangelo and and basically you came to the idea that you trade anderson you get someone cheaper and you basically just have to find a bunch of minimum guys now i'm on the the side of i i would be fine to try that but i it it, it carries all kinds of risk because we saw it last year like you, you need the the star players to be excellent and then you need to be able to hit on some of those those cheap guys, and then you need to be hit able to hit on this goalie. Like it's just asking for a lot of good things to happen. I guess is the point. No. Well, you pointed out that Dallas has guys like uh, Coliano and Corey Perry and um, Blake Como was was the other one. My buddy Jason Dickinson. Right. I love that guy. Right. They have those guys, but it's going to be hard for the Leafs to find players that are as good as those players. 
Now, like those aren't mm-hmm. world beating guys, but they're like solid depth pieces that have yep. experience that can can contribute something to a good team. Um, they're paying those guys. You know, Perry's getting three million with all. He looks like he's going to hit all his bonuses because it was related to how far they went in the playoffs. Como's getting, I think, two point four. Uh, Coliano's three two five or something like that. Dickinson's at one point five. If you're asking Dubas and the Leafs to find those guys for seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand, I don't know if you can do it. Like, look at the free agent market landscape. Like, other teams are going to outbid you and offer the guys like one point two or one point five million. And you're going to be like, well, I can't do it because we're paying five guys like seventy percent of our salary. Like, they, I don't know. I don't know that they're going to. But be able maybe to this do that. is the year, James, that you can do it. Maybe this is the year when values are depressed and like you can but find who? those guys like, and like. But who though, Jonas? Like, look at look at the UFA. Like we've done this. We've gone through the list. Like, look at the UFA forwards, and it's like after you get through the for top like fifteen guys, there's there's not a lot there. Like it's not like. Well, you mentioned Corey Perry. Like, how much is Corey Perry going to get? Well, if he, you want to sign him, I mean, he got three million this year, so. Yeah, maybe they do okay. some maybe they do some bonus deals. I don't know, but the problem with doing the bonus laden deals is that if you exceed the salary cap using the bonus, that gets right. that gets pushed to next year. Like Dallas is going to have a big overage. You know, they're going to have a big cap overage because they got a whole bunch of bonuses that they gave these older guys. You know, Perry's going to yeah, put and they them got over. to the Cup final and they might win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they've got a lot of o- older players making big money, and their window is going to be. And they're going to lose a bunch of cap space next year. And Okay, but like, James, you can pencil in. So Barabanov's making entry level. Robertson making entry level. So that's two of your bottom six. You could... Spezza. If you want, well, Spezza you could bring back for minimum. So let's say 700K. Um, you could bring back the GOAT if you wanted. I, I know you're in the camp of moving on. But like, you can find fourth liners to make nothing. Um, the, the key is like you got to kind of hit on yeah, but the, at least one guy. I'm not worried about the fourth line. I'm worried about the third line. If your third line is a bunch of $700,000 guys, like... Right, like, because you'd we have don't to know. trade Kerfoot or Janssen, right? Yes. Like, we don't know if Barabanov can be a third liner in the NHL. We don't know if True. Robertson can do that over a season. We don't, like... So you can't go in with Kerfoot and a bunch of guys that are like huge question marks to even play. Like your third line's important. Your third line is where you're going to draw your penalty killers from, where you're going to draw your second power play unit from. Your third line's going to play a lot more minutes when anyone's hurt in the top six. I just, Mm -hmm. there's a limitation to how much you can play your first and second line. Okay, well, so then it would would kind of maybe be to the point where you have to have a third line of like Robertson, Kerfoot, and Engvall or something, or Robertson, Kerfoot, and Barabanov. Or or you bring in some 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 other guys via trade or via free agency that give you a bit more, um, and then your defense. The thing is, like your defense suddenly is is really good. Like you could conceivably go uh, Riley Petrangelo, Muzzin Hall, Sandine Dermott, or Sandine Lettinen, or whatever. And then the question is in goal. Like you're right, it it does present a really tough question as to whether you're going to be deep enough to survive anything like one injury to one of those guys in the top six. And like, suddenly you're, 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 you're kind of up a Creek a little bit. They'd have to find a way to like find a goalie. They really like for like 2 million or like find some forwards. They really like that make a million bucks or, and I just, I'm not sure who that is. 
I was even looking at it like yesterday. Like, I wonder if you could find a trade with another team. And like with the Barry deal, you get the other team to retain half the deal. So then the cap hit comes in much lower. Yeah. You, maybe you can trade for a goalie and make them eat some of the salary or something. Or, But it's 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 really, really tough. I imagine they're going to be in the conversation, but there's going to be a limitation to... Like, I wonder if they can go to Petrangelo and say, look, we can give you... We can give you what St. Louis is offering you, <laughs> you know, like, but I, I just, I don't know how much higher they're going to be able to go than that. Well, and, and the other question is like, does Petrangelo even want to play in Toronto? Like, who knows? Like that, some guys don't want to, who are from here, don't want to come and play here. John Tavares is kind of, I don't think he's the exception because like some guys get drafted here and they, they choose to stay like Marner and. Well, Spezza wanted to come here Hyman. and Clifford wanted to be here yeah. and like, there's, you know. There are guys yeah. that do want to play here. We'll see. All right, next question. That was a long time on that question, but that was like the most important question. Um, the next question is, who are your untouchables? Um, so Jack Campbell, number one. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All I was saying is I don't think they're going to trade Jack Campbell. I'm not saying he's I un- know. I was just saying here are some players. You know, Muzzin's got the no movement clause. I don't think they're going to trade him. Um, Muzzin has no movement clause just for this one year. The way they structured his deal was that he has it for this first year, but then when the expansion draft happens, he doesn't have it, so they don't have to protect him in the expansion draft if they don't want to. Uh, I imagine they probably would, but they gave themselves some flexibility where he will be eligible for the expansion draft. Uh, the other, the only, the only no movement clauses on the whole Leafs roster are Tavares and, and Muzzin. So those are two people that are staying, and Austin Matthews is 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 my end. I think I think if you're asking me flat out who your untouchables are, it's just Austin Matthews, and I would trade anybody else. But then you've got the no movement clauses. Then you've got things like guys like Campbell that probably aren't going to get traded. I think probably almost anyone else could potentially be traded. Well, one guy we didn't mention in our piece that would be interesting, just in the sense that he he will be a free agent in a year from now potentially. But he's cheap. He's really good. Is is Zach Hyman? Um, I just can't see it because he's he's too cheap and he's too good and he's too unique and he's too important. So we didn't mention him. We 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 put Riley in the camp of like you you'd look at it, you talk about it, Marner, Neander. Like you, I think you'd have to consider anything um, if you're the Leafs. Like you you wouldn't, as I said, hang up the phone, right? Hyman's a tough one. Like if he was making more money, then you could you could make the case that well, if we get something good for him, then it's worth moving. But like, you'd free up hardly any cap space. So how are you going to trade a guy that's making two point two five and get get who's playing potentially on your top line and and who's bringing the kind of elements that I don't know. I I I, I don't see a fit to trade Hyman, and I'm I think they'll explore trying to keep him. But I that's. Again, that's a conversation for another day. Okay, well, that kind of brings us to the next question because I think it is tied to this somewhat. Is which, if there is another forward to be dealt, Kasperi Kapanen's already been traded, obviously. Um, who would that guy be for you? Who would be next? Uh, Andreas Janssen's probably the obvious one. I don't love the idea of moving him just because I think you're you're not going to get a lot back because you're going to be selling low given the season that he had. Uh, but if you need that cap space for something more important, like something on the blue line, he's by far the the choice that makes the most sense. You know, it's 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 
I mean, if we're talking about training forwards, there's not a whole lot of candidates to choose from. If, as as Kyle Dubas said, he doesn't want to trade Marner. And again, what I was told is that the offers that they're getting for Nylander are not very good. So do you want to trade Nylander for not very good offers? When he just came off a huge season? Not really. That leaves your second tier guys. And the only ones making anything are, are Janssen and Kerfoot. And they're so thin at center that you probably have to keep Kerfoot. So um, I, I could see them trading Engvall as well, but you know he's making one two five. It's not going to make a huge a huge difference. You can save an extra half million if you move Engvall, but um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how how much the forward group changes here over the next two or three weeks. Yes. Well, two points that that I hadn't thought of until after we had published our story. Um, it would be difficult for me, and I hadn't thought of it this way until, yeah, after we finished. It's kind of difficult that you would have to trade two of your top nine forwards just for cap space, like and futures. Like, I get it because like you can allocate that money somewhere else, but that's really that's tough. Like to tr- trade two 25, 26 year old. Jans is going to be 26, I believe Kapanen's 24, just just for space, for nothing, and then find a way to replace them. And then the other thing with Janssen, I think you, you kind of touched on it. I kind of feel like his upside is higher than Kerfoot. Like if you're projecting the best case version of both guys, like Janssen might be like a 50, 55-point player, 20 goals, whatever. And I just think his ceiling is a little higher than Kerfoot, but like the versatility... Uh, that you get with Kerfoot, to me, makes it more appealing to keep him. And then the question is, like, which guy would fetch more value on the market? Maybe none. Like, with those contracts, like, those contracts are not super alluring right now. I would still think, I think the I think the center Iceman, who's had multiple seasons in the 40-point range, would, would get more on the market right now. Yeah. But, but you're, I mean, neither one of them looks like a huge bargain right now. All right, let's take a brief break and then we will talk about what's next on our list. Oh, the first round pick. Should they trade the first round pick? That'll be coming up in just a sec. But James, as you know, every sports story that matters is on The Athletic. And right now you can join for just one twenty-five a month. That's like less than a coffee, especially at certain places where it's expensive for a coffee. You get access to The Athletic's exclusive in-depth coverage of this really unprecedented sports season. Really, it's nuts. Like we've got... MLB playoffs coming up, NBA playoffs, like the finals coming up pretty soon. The Stanley Cup finals just about to end. And then there's the offseason. And then there's more football and just tons of stuff going on. Uh, So right now, you don't want to miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this season with everything going on. So you can subscribe now and save. Sign up to see for yourself the creativity, the reporting, the storytelling that sets the athletic apart. If you go to the athletic.com slash leaf report, I'm going too fast, James. You can receive an all access subscription for just $125 a month. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss the breaking stories on your favorite team. So go to the athletic.com slash leaf report to receive an all access. Wow, I can't say that, James. Can you say it? All access subscription? All access subscription. Sign up now. Theathletic.com slash leaf report. Do it. I think we have just stumbled into a second career for you. You could be a voice 
actor. Ad, ad, ad reads are not your thing, Jonas. You do many things well, but reading an ad is not, uh, it's not one of your top bar attributes. So I, I think I'm going to have to do more of them going, going forward. Sweet. I can take the break. And James, I should mention that Tony Granato, his brother, Don Granato, used to coach Austin Matthews. So he was on with Craig Custance this week on the full 60 at The Athletic. And I got to say, James, like as a longtime fan of these guys, the No Dunks podcast, if you're a basketball fan, is like A+. It's so good. I wish we were as good as those guys, but they're like they're like the best podcasters alive, I think. Well, we're still working so, on it. You know, we've, we've been going for eight years and we're trying. We're getting better every year and got some veteran savvy now we got some gray in our beard we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get there we're like the zach bogosian of podcasts we're just we're just solid we're hanging around we can eat up some minutes all right so the next question is should the leafs trade their first round pick go ahead if you get if you get that defenseman to play with morgan riley that you want then yeah you trade that pick i mean i i it's Kyle Dubas basically said that. I mean, that, that like they're 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 fine to take that pick, but part of the reason they liked acquiring it was that it's a relatively high pick, fifteenth overall, and that's going to hold a lot of value, especially if you're dealing with a team that's looking for futures, that's rebuilding. That's the kind of piece that they're going to want as the centerpiece of a trade. So, I'm sure that that pick has been dangled to a lot of teams over the last few weeks. The draft is not very far away. It's, I believe, it's two weeks from today. So, or two weeks from yesterday, um, it's it's coming fast, and uh, I, I think as long as you can get, I don't trade that pick for a goalie. You know, I, I, some people have said, do you, do you trade that first round pick for Darcy Kemper? I don't, I don't think I make that deal. I don't trade that pick for, you know, a prospect or whatever. I, I trade that pick if I get a defenseman I feel like can play with Morgan Riley on on my top pair. That's when I make. That's when I trade that pick. I think James, like one thing you kind of realize when we look at like the forwards that they could trade conceivably, is they don't have a ton of like attractive trade assets that you would want to trade. Um, they traded one, Kasperi Kapanen. They could trade another with Kerfoot or Janssen. But that first round pick is like the most attractive thing in that it's it's like this big shiny object. Obviously, it doesn't give you cap space. Um, but as far as like things you could trade that have value to other teams, you don't want to trade Sandine. You don't want to trade Robertson. You don't have a ton of other prospects who are like super, super attractive to other teams. The first round pick is like very usable to get something. This is part of the problem the Leafs are running into right now is that you can't really move Janssen out and say, we've got this guy. I mean, I guess you've got Robertson, but you don't have, you don't have very many options where you're like... I've got this 22-year-old or 21-year-old prospect that's been in the minors for three years that's playing really well, and we think that he's going to be able to take the, make the jump and at the very least be you know, a fourth-line, third-line guy. They've kind of graduated all those players, and they're paying right now for some failures in the draft in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017. They just they don't have they don't have enough pieces coming, you know, if they would have made some of those third and fourth round picks and gotten a couple of players, then, you know, maybe they'd be in a different position right now, but you're right. I mean, that hurts not only their ability to, to bring some of those guys into the lineup. It also hurts in that they don't have the pieces to offer in trades. You know, if, if you were trading right now for a marquee defenseman 
and you didn't want to give up Nylander, the other team, I mean, like, you're going to, what are you going to give? You're going to have to give up a Lilgren or a Sandine just because there aren't that many other pieces that you can make available. Yes. And that's one thing, like, we look at Tampa. That's one thing Tampa's done really well is, like, not only have they developed these guys who have become stars in some cases, like Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov, who both were picked outside the first round, is they've developed other prospects that they've used in trades. Like, and that's that's really helpful. And that's to your point, like, those drafts before Kyle Dubas became the GM, many of which, all of which, I guess, were run by Mark Hunter, just didn't bear fruit. For the most part, and that that stings. Like it stings when Igor Korshkov is a second round pick, I believe, in 2016, the Matthews draft. Is that 16? Yeah, um, and he's just not a player. Like and Jeremy Bracco, second round pick, not a player. Like it it that kind of stuff hurts right now when you can use players uh, on entry level contracts who can contribute or be used in trades. Um, let's get to the last question of our five burning questions. Um, how much better, if any, will the Leafs be in three or four weeks? I mean, it's like you said in the piece. I mean, like, who knows? Like, we're guessing. But I think this is the pertinent question, though. The whole point of all of this exercise and all of these conversations and whatever is to try and make the roster better. And they went through this last year, and they weren't able to do that. You know, they had a lot of different needles that they had to thread. They had to get rid of Marlowe, and they had to get rid of Zaitsev, and they had to you know, replace their whole right side of their defense for not a lot of money and et cetera, et cetera. And, but they came out of that as a weaker team. And the goal here is going to be, regardless of what they do, they're going to have to find a way to, to take steps forward. And it's not really coming internally from a lot of young guys pushing. I mean, unless, unless you think that Dermot or Sandine is going to take a big step and, 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 and push the team forward or, or Robertson's going to break out and be a 20 goal guy, or there's, there's not a lot of young blood coming up. So, you know, the, the trades they make and the free agents they sign in the next two, three weeks going to be absolutely vital in terms of what this team looks like next year. And then they're going to have to, they're going to have to hope that, they get more than they got this past season from from the guys they're paying all the money to. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like you're, those highly paid players are highly paid for a reason, and you need them to be excellent. And outside of Matthews and Neilander, they were they were okay, like, but but not good enough. And like the two big transactions um, from last summer, obviously one that gets you. Like, it's complicated, but Cody Ceci comes back. He doesn't work. Tyson Berry and Alex Kerfoot don't exactly work, and those hurt you. Like, they have to be able to nail those. Because it's, like, relevant to me, because I'm working on a story about it that will come out later this week, I'm curious to see how much they change, like, the style of the team in terms of, like, that word grit. Um, We know that this is not a team that's going to ignore advanced stats. Um we know that this is a GM that doesn't totally buy into the notion that you have to have quote-unquote toughness. But we heard Brendan Shanahan after the season say that it was something that they think they might have to add. And so I wonder how much they end up adding. I think what they want is they want the team to be to be harder to play against. You yeah, know, to be, to, it. to be a team that you have to fight for every inch against in the playoffs. And, you know, I think that you look at the Lightning this year and, part of their evolution in how they've changed is 
they've just become without changing over a whole bunch of the roster they've obviously added some pieces in Barkley Goodrow and Coleman and Shattenkirk and but but their style of play and their their mentality and uh what the coaching staffs asked them to do is to be able to win some more of those tight games and to be able to to beat teams like Columbus and and not let them back in games and that's something the Leafs haven't quite figured out yet you go back to that series against the Blue Jackets they have to win that game where they're up three nothing and that's going to be the focus for Sheldon Keefe the whole year. And it's not going to be just a personnel one because they can only change so many of these players. It's going to be on the guys who were there last year to to take the next step. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. That's that's in the story is, is Tampa being a good example because I was watching the game, game two, and they were protecting, Tampa was protecting a late lead and Goudreau was on the ice and Coleman was on the ice and Sorelli was on the ice. Maybe Coleman wasn't, but... Kalorn was on the ice and it was like you need those guys you need those like it doesn't have to be big or nasty like it doesn't have to be Radko Gudis or Patrick Maroon it needs to be guys that you can play in tight spots and that are going to win that battle along the boards to protect the lead it's it's like it's that which it feels like they're kind of missing right now so it'll be interesting to see um how they address that um yeah Anything else you want to add? You had a, an interesting story on some buyout candidates. I think twenty-two of them. Yeah, the the Leafs don't have any. You know, and, and I, you know, I went through every team in the league, and there's a lot of teams that don't have any. But you know what? You know what was eye-opening to me doing that piece, Jonas? Just looking at every bad contract in the league is there's some really, really, really terrible mistakes, and yes, it feels like in the in the Leafs market, the 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 contracts get talked about so much. But the overpays that the Leafs have on their roster are nowhere near some of... Like, there are a lot of teams that have players that make five, six million dollars who are completely useless, who can't do anything. Like, there are dozens of those players in the NHL. So, then that's not to say, like... That's one thing, at least, that the Leafs have going for them right now, is that they're not spending a lot a lot of money on complete junk. They're, like, if you had to pick the most overpaid player in the Leafs, it's going to be someone who's only making a million or a million and a half extra. It's not going to be Andrew Andrew Ladd or Louis Erickson or like, look at Vancouver. Vancouver, look at what their, their, their bottom six forwards. They've got three or four guys making three to four million dollars. You got Louis Erickson making six million dollars. You could replace all of those guys for players making one and a half or two million dollars and you wouldn't be any poorer for it. So there's a, there's a lot of teams that have mismanaged their cap worse than the Leafs. Um, Toronto's just gotta gotta find a way to to fill in around the edges and in, in a better fashion than they did last year. Yeah, it's funny. I, I kept seeing your list and like going through the names, and then I'd see how many years left, and be like, oh my god. And then like <laughs> forget about like the buyout candidates. Like when I kind of looked across the league for defensemen, and you come to San Jose, and you're like, Mark Edward Velasic has like seven more years, and. Brent Burns has like five more years and like Eric Carlson has like seven or six more years. And it's just like, oh my God, some of these teams are just in trouble. A lot of those contracts you can't buy out. Like I had, I came up with 22, but as you get towards the bottom of the list, I'm like, you can't buy this contract out because it's so buyout protected that it just can't happen. So it's, uh, the Leafs got to make sure they avoid that for sure. All right. Well, this was fun. Glad to be back. Um, as we mentioned, go to theathletic.com slash report to sign up for The Athletic if you haven't already. I should just write my own ad reads. Then I wouldn't screw them up. Um, and we will be back 
next week. Right, James? Thanks for listening.